So we live in a pretty beautiful world. God's created a pretty nice place in a lot of ways for us to call home for the time that we're here. If you take a look, uh, right now you see all the beautiful fall colors, soon giving way to winter, which I'm not crazy about, but here we are, beautiful fall colors. You can go out west and see things like the Painted Desert, the Grand Canyon, the Rocky Mountains. Uh, around here, of course, we have the Great Lakes. You can go a little ways away from here and see the Black Hills. You can see beautiful, undisturbed forest lands. You can go east or west and see both oceans. Uh, I've, I've had the privilege of putting my feet in both of them, um, and it's really a beautiful, powerful thing to stand by the ocean and, and uh, realize just how small you are, uh, but you can do that. The skies are filled with beautiful birds. The landscape is decorated with gorgeous flowers of all kinds. And, of course, it says in the Bible that not even Solomon was clothed as beautifully as one of them. Uh, you can go to Florida, where I used to live, and see bugs and snakes and spiders. Oh, my. Um, it's one of the reasons I got myself out of Florida. I don't do well with that kind of stuff. And Florida is basically like the Australia of the Northern Hemisphere. Um, if, if, if there's an animal that can kill you, it probably lives there. Um, but anyway, our world is also a fallen world. Our world has been stained and cursed by our sin. And this world, in all of its beauty, is sick and it's dying. And one day soon, God is going to pull the plug. Second uh, Peter 3.10 tells us that it's all going to burn one day. He, uh, God says in his word, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are in it will be exposed. The King James renders it this way, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The world is dying, and so are we. That said, we need to be sure that we're in a right standing with God. So how do we do that? We'll take a look at our text for today. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. We do all sorts of things to check up on our physical health. We have routine blood work done. We go on doctor's visits. There are various men's and women's health screenings, flu shots, pneumonia shots, shingles shots. Uh, we use hand sanitizer, rubber gloves. We sterilize baby bottles. We do all sorts of things and submit to all sorts of examinations to make sure that our physical bodies are in the best state that they can possibly be. I, I myself, this past Tuesday, had a cardioversion done on my heart where they tried to zap me back into rhythm. You know, we do all these things to take care of our bodies. And all of that is great. We should take care of our bodies. You know, God's given us great advances in medicine over the years, and that's for our benefit, and we should use those things. But what about our spiritual well-being? How often do we take an introspective look at the inner man or the inner woman? As important as our physical health is, there is nothing more important than our spiritual health. You see, there are really only two states of spiritual health. You are either spiritually alive or you're spiritually dead. There's, there's not a middle ground. 
Now, there might be younger Christians, people who haven't been in the faith as long, who maybe aren't as far along in their walk as you are. But again, if you're not spiritually alive, you are spiritually dead. And if you're spiritually dead, you're in a lot of trouble. Now, have to understand something. When I come up here and deliver a message or whether I'm at my home church and delivering a message, I'm not just preaching this to you. I'm preaching it to myself as well. I'm standing up here delivering this message because taking a spiritual inventory and getting a spiritual checkup is something I need to do all the time. And so do all of you. Paul was exhorting the Corinthian church, examine yourselves. Make sure you are who you say you are and that you have what you say you have. So maybe you're saying, okay, I, I need a checkup. How do I do it? I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to talk about today. Scripture gives us several ways that we can check ourselves, and we'll run, few of, run through a few of them. One question that we can ask ourselves is, does work accompany your faith? Uh, if we take a look at James chapter 2, we can read, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now I have to stop here and I have to say, James is not, is not, is not, saying that we are saved by doing good works. We are not saved by doing good works. I, I hope I have established that clearly. But if we are saved, if we have faith, that will show up in what we do. James is saying what I do demonstrates that I actually have the faith that I tell you that I have. To say I have faith and yet to have no work accompany it should cause you to examine yourself. Again, not saved by doing good works, but good works are a direct manifestation of genuine faith. Another question that we can ask ourselves is, do you have a hunger for the Word of God? How important is reading and studying God's Word for you? 1 Peter 2.2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. You cannot grow in your faith without reading the Word of God. 2 Timothy says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now let me ask you something. How can one even know what sound doctrine is if they don't study the Word of God? I, I have had this conversation many times before, maybe some of you have, but I've talked to people and I've asked them, well, what do you believe? And they say, well, I believe what the church believes. Well, what does the church believe? Well, I, I guess what the pastor believes. Well, what does the pastor believe? I don't know. Bible? I, I, I don't know. How do you know that the preaching is coming from God's word? You have to read it for yourself. Uh, the church that I was a part of in Florida had a, a Wednesday night prayer service, and we also had our, our kids' groups met that night. And 
And every Wednesday, those kids would stand up and they would say, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And they would also go on with, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's what the word tells us. That's what the word is. It is a light unto our, uh, uh, excuse me, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. One, one last scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 6. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You will teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lay down and when you rise. You will bind them as a sign on your hand and they will be as frontlets between your eyes. You will write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. How can you do that if you don't study the word? How can you, how can you possibly keep all of these things in your heart if you don't read the word, if you don't hunger for the word and read it and study it and know what God's word actually is, what it says? Another question we can ask ourselves is, do you have love for the brethren? Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Paul wrote a whole chapter on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, I, I won't read the whole thing, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to read part of it to you. Paul wrote, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I, give, if I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. The preacher may stand up here from time to time and preach things that are hard. But if he's a preacher that's worth anything at all, he will not do it because he's a jerk. Uh, he's not doing it because he revels in making people feel guilty. He doesn't do that because he's some sanctimonious, self-righteous fool. He does that because he cares about you and he cares about your soul. And he knows when he's wagging his chubby finger at you, he's got three chubby fingers pointing right back at him. And he needs to hear this message just as much as you do. When a preacher preaches passionately, it's because what he's preaching has first stirred his own soul and he aches in his bones to share it with you. His love for the brethren compels him, and it ought to compel you as well. How often have you heard somebody say, well, I love God, but I don't like going to church? I've heard that a lot over the years. And a question that comes to my mind is, well, if you don't love being around God's people, what exactly are you going to do in heaven? If you don't love God's people now, what are you going to do with eternity? What, what do you think is going to happen that will make, make that change in your mind down the road if you don't love God's people? And how often do we see Christians tearing each other apart? How often have we seen churches ruined by gossip over the years? 
or ruined by the silliest things where they can't decide on what color to paint the sanctuary and so the whole church splits over something that silly or they can't decide what color carpet is best. Craziness. How often do churches bury their wounded instead of trying to restore them in a spirit of meekness as Galatians 6.1 tells us? We need to, as Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Paul also wrote that we are, to, we are to be forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, do the same thing. A lack of love for your brothers and sisters in Christ is an indicator of a spiritual problem and it's cause for concern. Another question we can ask ourselves, what is your prayer life like? How often do you talk to God? What do you talk about? Do you only pray when somebody's sick or when you need something? Do you only pray when you're struggling? Or do you thank him when things are going well, too? Do you thank him even for those struggles? That's a hard one. That, that can be extremely difficult in the midst of one of life's storms to say, God, thank you for the struggle. But we're told to pray without ceasing. We're also told that all things work together for our good. That means even the bad stuff that we have to go through sometimes. It all works for our good. We can always be in an attitude of prayer. You don't have to be on your knees beside your bed to be in an, atti in an attitude of prayer. The position of your body is not relevant. Where is your heart? One of my favorite preachers uh, is a man who's been gone now, I think about 30 years. His name was Leonard Ravenhill. And uh, one of the things that he said was the reason we have powerless pulpits is because we have prayerless pews. You know, we, we come here and we pray on Sundays. Uh, some places have Wednesday night services where they, that are dedicated to prayer. That's great. But what about the other five days of the week? Are we in prayer during that time? Are you praying for your pastor? Are you praying for your church? Are you praying for those who are sick? Are you praying that God would save your lost loved ones? We have much to pray for, and the awesome thing is we have a great God who listens when we do. Now, some of, like, I guess I, I'm not sure if anybody here knows this, but um, I, I ride a motorcycle. Um, I, I love it. I do it whenever I get the opportunity. I, I often refer to the bike as my midlife crisis. Uh, but I will never leave my driveway on that motorcycle without praying first. I won't do it. Why? Not because I'm such a great guy, but because I need God. I, I want God to keep me safe while I'm on that thing, bring me safely home, help me to see other people on the road, help them to see me. I need him, and so I pray. Prayer is our direct line to God, and we would do well not to cut that off. Another more difficult question that we need to ask ourselves when taking a spiritual inventory is this. How do you feel about sin? Is it a big deal to you? We, we often speak of sin in a corporate sense. Well, we're all sinners. Everybody sins. You know, we're, we're, we're all sinners. 
And that's true. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But this should not ever make us feel comfortable with sinning. Far too often we'll use the we're all sinners as an excuse for our sinful behavior. Or another one that we hear quite often is, well, sometimes it's just easier to get forgiveness than it is to get permission. And I've said it before, I'm guilty. But when we do that, when we make that statement that it's easier to get forgiveness than it is to get permission, what we are saying is, God, I know I shouldn't be doing this thing, but I really want to do this thing. Whatever it is, whatever your pet sin is, I really want to do this thing, and I, I know that I shouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway because you're God and you have to forgive me, and you know we'll be cool afterwards, right? Um, that, that shouldn't be, that, that shouldn't happen. The real question is how do you, and I'm speaking to you as individuals, how do you feel about the sin in your life? Do you detest it? Do you hate the fact that despite your best efforts, you still, you still stumble sometimes? When you do fall into sin, is there brokenness over it? Is there sorrow? Is there a desire to get right with God and repent? Or are you flippant about it? Everyone does it. God will forgive me. See, not everybody struggles with sin. Some people dive in head first and don't give it a second thought. If you're someone who's actually struggling with sin, I'm less worried about you because it means you recognize it and you're fighting against it. There is another preacher who I have grown quite fond of over the years, and I, I'm certainly not one that idolizes preachers, but when I hear good preaching, I, I make a note of it. There's a fellow named Paul Washer. Now, I have to give a disclaimer. If you go home today and you look up Paul Washer on YouTube and you start listening to his sermons, you're probably not going to like him at first. I know I sure didn't. I thought, this guy is so mean and so angry, and I just I don't understand. But the more I listen to him, the more, the more I realized he is right on. Um, one of the things he said in a message I listened to was, I have people come up to me all the time and say, Brother Paul, let me tell you about my new relationship with God. And I always ask them, do you have a new relationship with sin? Because if you don't have a new relationship with sin, you don't have a new relationship with God. Those are really tough words, but, but they're true. When God saves a man or a woman, it is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, and that man or woman becomes a new creature in Christ. And a new creature in Christ does not strive to be like the rest of the world. A new creature in Christ desires to be like Christ. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be transformed, or, sorry, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you're troubled by your sin, that's a good thing. But if sin is no big deal to you, then I would urge you to take it seriously because God does. Not because being good saves you, but out of gratitude for what God has done for you, you should strive to put off the sin that so easily besets us. And not only that, if, if God has saved you, 
He's also given you the ability to do what he commands. And that brings me to my next question. Do you desire to obey God? I'm going to give you several examples from John chapter 14. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He also said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He further goes on to say, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come into him and make our home with him. But what does he have to say about those who don't obey? He says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Uh, in Luke, Jesus said this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against it, and the house could not shake it because it had been well built. What about those who don't obey? He said, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. When we hear and obey God, we are like that house on a solid foundation. We can weather the storm and stand strong. And when we don't obey, we're like a house with no foundation, and the storms that will surely come will sweep us away. A few years back, I bought a portable garage from Harbor Freight Tools. Uh, it was one of these like 17 by 10 foot uh, portable garage, basically like a big canvas tent. Um, I bought it because I have a trailer that I wanted to put in it and maybe a few other things. And, and I, I put the thing together and I thought, wow, this thing's actually pretty sturdy. Maybe it'll be all right in the winter. And for most of that winter, it was. But then came the big blizzard of 2018. And it utterly destroyed my precious portable garage. Why? Uh, because it was not nearly as sturdy as I thought it was. And because it was just sitting on the ground, it had no foundation. The storm came and destroyed it. And so it is when we choose to go our own way and not obey God. So again, I would ask, do you desire... <coughs> to obey God. I'm not asking you if you obey perfectly all the time, every second of every day, but is it the desire of your heart to obey him? I pray that it is. Another question. What are you counting on and what are you being conformed to? What are you counting on to save you? I have a bold statement, a difficult statement, a true statement. If you are relying on anything other than the finished work of Christ on the cross to save you, then you are not in the faith. And if you were to face God today, you would be in great danger. This makes me tremble and shake because I have friends and family members who I love that if they died today would be in trouble. How many times have I talked to somebody and heard them say, well, I'll go to heaven because I'm a good person. Or as long as my good outweighs my bad, uh, I'll be all right. Now, 
anybody who's read the book of Romans, in particular chapter 3, understands that Romans chapter 3 destroys any notion that our goodness means anything. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. They've all gone out of the way. They've all become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. If we are relying on our own goodness, we are in deep trouble. See, one of the most terrifying truths in all of Scripture is the fact that God is good and we are not. So if you're relying simply on your own goodness, you're in trouble. If you're relying simply on believing the fact that God exists, you are also in trouble. The devil believes God exists. There is more to it than simply acknowledging that he exists. Now to it, or to the second part of that question, what are you being conformed to? This is what God says of those who are in the faith. Romans chapter 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. If you claim to be a Christian but do not see yourself becoming conformed to the image of Christ, no matter how quickly or slowly that may be happening, you should be concerned. First, I'm sorry, yeah, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is not a metaphor. This really happens. When God saves somebody, they become a new creature. One of the biggest mistakes that people make, spiritually speaking, is that they compare themselves by themselves instead of comparing themselves against the standard of Christ. They think, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, so I'll be all right. The litmus test is not, am I better than my neighbor? The true test is, am I being conformed to the image of Christ? Let's assume for a moment that I was supposed to be here at 9 o'clock this morning, because I was. And let's assume that 9 o'clock comes and goes, and I'm not here. It's 9.15, we're singing the songs, I'm still not here. We're wondering, where's that preacher, what's going on? Now it gets to be 9.30, I'm still not here. Finally, it gets to be five minutes after 10, and I've come walking through the door. And the first thing I'm going to hear is, Wally, where have you been? You were supposed to be here at 9 o'clock. You were supposed to preach today. The whole day is ruined because you weren't here. And I say, well, I was on the way here. I left on time. And on the way here, I got a flat tire. And I stopped to change that tire. And when I was changing the tire, one of the lug nuts rolled into the road. So I went, I went out there to get it, and when I bent over to pick it up, an 80,000-pound logging truck was barreling down the road and ran over the top of me and kept on going. And then I got up, and I finished changing my tire, and now I'm here. Sorry I'm late. If I came in here and told you that story, you would think one of two things. Either I have lost my ever-loving mind, or I'm lying because you know that I could never have an encounter with something as powerful as an 80,000-pound logging truck 
and not be radically changed by it. And yet, there are people who will sit in churches across this country every week and tell you that they have had an encounter with the all-powerful creator of the universe, the almighty God, and yet somehow they are unchanged by that encounter. Not so. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. You are being conformed to the image of Christ, and if you're not, then you're not in the faith. Does this mean that you're going to be perfect all the time? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that the general course and style of your life will reflect the character of Christ. You won't want to do the things you used to do. Instead, your faith will cause you to want to do the good works that God wants you to do. If you are conformed to the image of Christ, you'll have a hunger for the word. You'll have an abiding love for the brethren. You'll have a healthy prayer life. You will not view sin the same way. You will desire to obey God, and you will rely on the finished work of Christ and nothing else. And, if you, and you will continually examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Now, that kind of message is not necessarily the easiest to hear, and it's certainly not the easiest kind of message to preach. Perhaps it's challenged you in some way. Perhaps, as you've listened, you've examined yourself and found yourself lacking in one area or another. I pray that you understand that every word spoken today comes from a place of love and concern for your souls. Understand also that this message is intended to point you to the cross. It's intended to point you there because there's no place else for you to go. Nowhere else will you find rest for your soul. Nowhere else are you going to find forgiveness of your sins. Nowhere else are you going to find that peace that passes understanding. There is salvation in no other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. As a preacher, I can only do so much. I can share the word with you. I can open up the word and explain it to you. I can tell you what the word says you have to do to be saved. I can lead you to the foot of the cross, but ultimately you have to get on it. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, that the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The day that Paul encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus was the day Paul died. Paul died to self, he died to sin, he died to his own desires, and he began to serve Christ from that day until the day that he was martyred. He didn't just come to the foot of the cross, he got on it. Everything that was Saul of Tarsus was nailed to that tree on Calvary. He crucified the flesh, he put his hand to the plow, and he didn't look back. He made the same challenge to the church in Corinth that I make to you today. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. If you do this, and you find yourself lacking, understand that you have broken God's law and that your sin has separated you from him. There's nothing you can do on your own to make it right. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't help enough old ladies across the street. You cannot bridge the gap that exists between you and God. The good news is that although you've broken God's law, Jesus paid that penalty for you. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and he suffered and died on the cross taking the punishment you deserved upon himself 
Then, on the third day, he rose again from the dead, forever defeating death and hell. And what he commands you to do is to repent. That is, turn from your sin and turn to him and trust in him to save you. If you do this, God promises to save you from the wrath to come. And we serve a God who always keeps his promises. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Another favorite old hymn of mine says, Take up thy cross and follow me, I heard my master say. I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. I pray that if you have not already surrendered your all to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might make today the day that you surrender your all to him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to open up and expound on your word. We are understanding that we are sinful people making our way through this world, but we also know that we have a great God who sent his son to die for us, and we are so eternally grateful. I pray that you would stir each heart in here today, Lord, to live their life for you, not just on Sunday, but every day. Continue to watch over this church and this fellowship of believers. We ask these things in Jesus' name.